Hi there. Welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. The following sermon was recorded at one of our regular Sunday services. I hope you find it encouraging and it draws you closer to God. Enjoy. This morning's reading is from 1 Kings chapter 17 and I'm reading from the NIV for those who would like to follow along in their own Bibles. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah, some time later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What have you done against, sorry, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. A few years ago, a uh, very courageous Baptist preacher was serving Uh, in the Soviet Union, as it was then. 
and uh, he had succeeded in planting about a dozen Baptist churches in the area. And on one occasion, uh, he, he found a, a piece of land that they liked and they wanted to put a church there. And so he went and approached the Soviet Minister uh, of Religious Affairs for permission, as you have to do. And the Soviet official refused him and he said, as long as I'm alive, there will never be a Baptist church on this location. And so as he was about to leave the office, he replied, well, Mr. Minister, I, I respect that you serve uh, as a minister of the Supreme Soviet, but I serve as a minister of the Most High God and I hope God doesn't take you up on your offer of building a church on your life. And well, the official was a bit taken back by this and he called the guy back and they talked a bit further and they continued to converse over the course of the next couple of months until this official eventually gave them permission to build their church and turned up at the opening of the church. So I think Elijah would have been proud of this, you know, humble Baptist preacher uh, standing up to authority uh, to, to proclaim the word of God. Um, but as we will discover, that kind of faith takes time to grow. You know, most of us don't just have a kind of faith oozing out of us in abundance. And that's what we're talking about today. So today's topic is called Elijah Grows in Faith. Now, in Israel, water comes from a couple of sources. The main source is that they have their rainy months, you know, from May to October when there's rains and it fills up all the rivers and dams and, and all the, the cisterns and things. But in the other months of the year, there is a lot of dew up on the, and, and mist up in the mountains. And that all condenses and it, it, it goes into the small streams. And so even during the, the hot, dry months, they still have a little bit of water coming through. Now, we saw last week that Elijah turned up confronted King Ahab and said, at my word, in the name of Yahweh, there will be no rain or dew on this land until I say so. And then off he headed again. And we pointed out that they probably thought this was a big joke because after all, they served the god Baal. And Baal was the god of storms and the god of rain. And who is this backwater preacher coming and telling us what is going to happen. But eventually, eventually, um, they started to realise that what Elijah had said came true because there was no rain. And Elijah bravely stood up to authority. He stood up to King Ahab. But there's a time for bravery and there's a time for brains. And Elijah knew that if he hung around, his life would be in danger so God sends him off beyond Ahab's control into enemy-controlled territory where the king can't get to him and God feeds him and waters him and keeps him for about a year while he remains close and he gets this wonderful training from God. Now at first the stream ran and it kept him watered and the ravens came brought him food but eventually, uh, actually what I find interesting about this particular part is it's a real parallel to the time of Moses. Remember in the time of Moses when the Israelites would get up in the morning and the manna would be on the ground. So they'd have their bread in the morning. 
And then at night time, the flocks of quails would come in and they'd catch them and they'd use them for their meat. So they had bread in the morning and meat at night. And in, in our passage with Elijah, we read that he had bread and meat morning and night. As if God's trying to say, you know, I'm doing twice as much for you as I did for Moses. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. Now, I believe this time that Elijah had was a very important preparation time for him. And we see this again and again in Scripture, don't we? People having these extended times with God where they don't really undertake their full ministry until after they've had that time of isolation. Even Jesus had his 40 days in the wilderness and then when he came back, he was full of the Spirit and he began to his ministry. And so Elijah has had this time where he's alone with God and unlike everybody else in the kingdom, he doesn't have to go hunting for food and water. All he has to do is just spend time with God. And so God has been preparing him for what was to come, preparing him to have the faith to take on the next challenge. And you would think that if you have this image in your mind that every day these ravens are coming and bringing you food, you would think you would never doubt God again. You would be just full of faith. Well, you would think. But it never works out quite that way, does it? You know, we are human beings and we all fail. And, and as we'll see that Elijah did doubt God. Elijah did struggle in his faith. Now, we'll even see later on in this series that Elijah was also prone to depression. But Elijah was a man who learned to overcome his fear, to overcome his doubt and to act in faith. And God was gracious to Elijah See, God didn't just shove Elijah in at the deep end and say, okay, Elijah, power on for me. He gave Elijah one small job. Tell this to the king of Israel and then run away and I'll look after you. And he started to prepare him for the next phase of his ministry. And that's where we find Elijah now. Because eventually God said to Elijah, I want you to move on. And this time he sends Elijah to Zarephath. So if we, um, I don't actually have a pointer here, but you can see on the map, uh, Samaria, which is the kingdom of Israel, so that's the pink area is the nation of Israel. Up on the right is enemy-occupied territory, uh, and this is where Elijah was hiding. Oh, I saw an arrow there somewhere. So that's about, a, uh, about 100 kilometres away from where the king of Israel is. And because he's in enemy-occupied territory, he can't, uh, he, the king can't get to him. But now God's telling him, I want you to go all the way north, all the way right at the top of our map to Zarephath. That is in the kingdom of Phoenicia, which is where the king's wife Jezebel comes from. So her father, the king, is reigning in this area here. Elijah is going back into enemy territory, back where, back where his enemies are. And so now he's ready for this next phase of his ministry. Elijah's not quite ready yet to take on the, you know, the biggest challenges God has for him, but it is time to kind of move up a level in difficulty. It's a bit like when you play a computer game, you know, you kind of, you, you, you defeat one level 
and you're ready for the next level. Unless it's me and then you kind of stay at that level all the time. Um, but Elijah has made it, you know, one level. He's gone to, he's, he's, he's dealt with Ahab. He's done his first prophecy. And then he's gone off in the wilderness. He's had the faith for God to look after him during a, uh, during a famine. And now he's ready for level three, ready for the next phase. So Elijah starts by doing what is logical and he rocks up to the city gate. Now, in those times, the city gate wasn't just like, you know, the entrance to, the, to our church here. It wasn't just an entrance. It was the place where people gathered. It was like the foyer of the city. And people would conduct business there. People would do land deals. People would get employed. Uh, they, would, they would carry on the, the business of, you know, the civic duty of the city. But also, the poor people would gather there as well. Because if that's where all the important rich men of the city were gathering... Maybe there's some scraps to be handed out. Maybe there's an opportunity for, a, you know, a day's labour or something that could help. But Elijah, when he turns up in Zarephath, gets a nasty surprise. There's nobody there. The place is deserted. There's no business going on. There's no money changing hands because there's, no, you know, there's almost no food left in the land. And the only person he can see there is this poverty-stricken widow who doesn't even have enough food for herself and her son. As Simon read to us, you know, she's at the point where she says, I've got enough food left for one meal. I've got no money beyond that to buy any more food, so basically I'm going to go home, eat my meal with my son, and we're going to wait to die. And Elijah is supposed to ask her for help. And that... That's a big ask. And so our passage says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah and he said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. That's a, that's a big challenge. So Elijah has gone from a place of safety. He spent a year by this flowing brook, getting fed every day. And God says, Now I want you to go there and ask a widow for food. The point that he asks a widow is important. Um, I've discussed recently with someone, we were talking about the whole concept of marriage and things in, in Moses' law. Back then, women didn't really have any status of their own. You know, you couldn't go out and just get a job. Your status was determined by your husband or your father. So you were, you know, you were the daughter of the breadmaker or you were the... the the wife of the carpenter or whatever and when if your husband or your wife uh, your husband or your father died and you had nobody left where did you get your income from so already god is starting to test elijah's faith he says i'm going to send you to someone who doesn't really have any economic security in her life and she's going to give you food so did elijah ask her for food the answer is no. I, I think Elijah wavered in his faith just a little bit here. And so he partly chickens out. He sees this woman and he says, um, could you bring me a sip of water? Well, God didn't ask him to ask her for water. God told him to ask her for food, not, not water. Oh, can you give me a little water? 
That's not what God asked. It's almost like he's testing God. You know, he's saying, is this really the woman? You know, if she responds to me, then maybe I'll know she's the right one. And so the woman agrees. Yes, I'll get you a little water. And then his faith gets a little stronger. And so as she's walking away, he says, oh, by the way, can you also please give me some bread? Now, that's what he was supposed to ask in the first place. But his faith wasn't just quite strong enough to go all the way there. And as it turns out, this woman that God had directed him to was also a believer in the God of Israel. At least part, partly a believer because she, she says uh, to him, she describes uh, God as Yahweh, your God. So he, she at least knows about something of the God of Israel. And she's at the point where she's got nothing left, but she's willing to give. She's willing to surrender. And so all of a sudden there's this change takes place in Elijah. Suddenly God begins to speak to him and his faith grows. And so he declares to her that God is going to perform a miracle. And that, that, that last bit of flour she's got, it's never running out. It's just going to keep filling again. God's going to do that for you. So God has tested her faith and God has tested his faith and now we see God rewarding their faith and Elijah just being built up and he's gone from, oh, I don't think I can have the courage to ask for bread, I'll just ask for water. Now he's gone to, look at what God is going to do. And so we start to see Elijah's faith growing. He's not all the way there yet, but he's, he's on the way. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this passage, it struck a chord with me and I rem it reminded me of somebody. And I don't know if it reminded you of this same person. But you might recall um, back in, in the time of Jesus when he was sitting there with his disciples and they were watching people come and give their offerings. And so you've got this great big you know, trumpet thing made of metal and, and as you throw your coins in, you know, it makes lots of rattling and noise and, and of course if you're a rich person, you know, you can saunter up there and throw your money in and it makes a big sound and everyone looks around and go, oh, what a great giver he is. We should do that with our box over there, you know, put a microphone in it so you can hear. <laughs> and Jesus says, as he's waiting there, there's this woman comes along a widow, another widow. And she puts in a couple of small coins. And Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury more than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You know, sometimes that tiny little gesture, we think it's a tiny little gesture, but in God's eyes, it's huge. And like the widow that Elijah came across, she was willing to give everything. So remember, Elijah's widow only had enough food left for her and her son, and then she was prepared to die. By following the word of God and being willing to give that last bit of grain to Elijah, it meant she was basically going to go home 
not have a last meal and die. That was where she was willing. And so God tests, grows and rewards their faith. And he provides miraculously for them because his word comes true, doesn't it? For, for some reason, some, in some miraculous way, the flower never runs out. You know, it's the same as the miracle that Jesus performed with the loaves and the fishes. You know, here he has a, a, a little boy's lunch and he just keeps pulling out of the basket more and more and more and feeds about 15,000 people. And this is proof for us that it is Yahweh, the God of Israel, not Baal, who is the giver of life. Now, in spite of God's miraculous provision, and I know this is sometimes difficult for us to understand, that in spite of doing everything God calls on us to do, sometimes bad things happen. The widow's son gets sick and dies. Now, we saw that she has a little bit of faith, but it's an immature faith. And she struggles with this tragedy. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you struggle when your child dies? See, she assumes that maybe God is punishing her for some unknown sin in her life. You know, and it's probably Elijah's fault. It's his fault. You know, if he hadn't come here, God wouldn't have even noticed me. I could have just flown under the radar and my sins would have been overlooked. But because he's come here, God's caused his eye to look at me and now he's seen my sin and he's punishing me. I I can't tell you how often I hear people say that sort of thing. You know, what did I do to deserve this? Why is God punishing me? And I hope we know that that's not how God operates. I hope we know, at least in our heads, if not in our hearts, that God doesn't go around looking to squash people. Oh, you did something wrong. Bang. That's not who God is. That's not what he does. He doesn't go around looking for people to punish. But the reality is we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is shaped by sin. We live in a world that has people that will hurt others. Natural disasters will happen. Because we are human beings, we will get sick. We will die. But when tragedy strikes, sometimes it's so easy for our hearts to overtake what we know in our heads. And so we cry out to God. And it wasn't just the woman who struggled. Elijah himself also struggled with this and so we read that Elijah took the child in his arms and he went upstairs to his room why didn't he just perform a miracle right there in front of her because he didn't have enough faith for that right there on the spot we read that he got up to his room laid the child on the bed and he cried out Yahweh my God have you brought tragedy on this widow In other words, he asked the same question she did. God, why have you done this? Elijah struggled. God, haven't we done everything you've asked of us? Why has this happened? Why are you punishing us? Elijah struggled with his faith 
He stretches himself out over the body of this boy, which ordinarily would have been against the rules. I mean, it's not a sin, but it would have made him ceremonially unclean. So touching a dead body means that you have to go off and do all the appropriate ceremonial washing before you can again come into God's presence. But he was desperate. He was desperate as though he's pouring his own life out and laying down and saying, God, take me instead. And he's desperate to God. You know, this is not a, a faith-filled prayer. You know, when Jesus raised the dead and he just goes, little girl, get up. You know, or where he says to the demon, be gone. This is not one of those prayers. This is a prayer of desperation. It's raw and it's emotional and it's filled with pain. But God hears Elijah's cry. The boy is healed. And once again, both she and Elijah have their faith lifted to incredible heights. And so the passage goes on to tell us, Yahweh heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him. And we get back and it's interesting, it doesn't tell us a lot about Elijah's faith. His, his subsequent actions tell us more about his faith. But it does tell us about her faith. And it says, now she says to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and the word of Yahweh from your mouth is the truth. So in spite of the miracle God had already performed, she still only had a very immature faith. Now, however, she's saying, I believe every word that comes out of your mouth is from God because I've seen it with my own eyes. You see, not only does God provide food for life, it is Yahweh, not Baal, who is the giver of life itself. Now, you might think I'm a little bit harsh on Elijah. Surely Israel's greatest prophet can't have been a faithless, scared coward. Surely he couldn't have been. Well, yes, he could. And he could still have been Israel's greatest prophet because those two statements aren't mutually exclusive. You can lack faith and yet still perform great acts of faith. You can be afraid and yet still perform amazing acts of courage. Nelson Mandela said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers his fear. Uh, and to quote the late, great John Wayne, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. I could do that in an accent, but I'm not very good. Now, you may recall this instance in the life of Jesus when he was confronted with a demon-possessed boy and the father had brought him to this kid to the disciples and the disciples couldn't heal him. They couldn't do anything. And so Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. And what I love about this passage, again, it's not the so-called servants of God who respond. It's not the disciples who go, oh, okay, Jesus, we'll act on that. It's the boy's father who responds. And in desperation, the boy's father says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. You know, Lord, I do, I, I've just got this little bit of faith. 
It's not much, but it's just a little bit. Can you please help me overcome my lack of faith? And Jesus goes on and heals this boy. Well, if you look out that window there, you'll notice that we have a community garden and it is called the mustard seed. In Matthew 13, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Although it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds come and perch in its branches. The mustard seed is meant to be a place where the community can come and gather, be in the presence of God and in his creation and find peace. It's a little garden that started small. It's only been running for, what, eight or nine years or something like that? It's, been, it's only a small thing. But it keeps growing. It keeps growing. Our faith is that mustard seed. You know, faith isn't just something you have in abundance the moment you're saved. You know, I think sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves. You know, and we think, oh, we should have this enormous faith the moment we're saved, the moment the Spirit comes into our lives. And we forget that faith is something that starts small and it grows over time. It grows as God gives us small challenges that grow into bigger challenges. It grows as we learn to trust God in small ways and, and God proves that he will do it and then it grows in bigger ways. And this is the same for Elijah. The same for Elijah. It was a, a small faith that grew and grew. And the, and the faith grows as we get closer to God and realize what a faithful God he is. And so we read in Deuteronomy, Know that Yahweh your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generation of those who love him. He is a faithful God. And see, that's how our faith grows. Our faith grows from learning that God is faithful. It doesn't come from us knowing that we ourselves are anything special. But it comes as we put our trust in God and he proves himself. And it starts out small. And so no one starts out with this giant faith. You know, no one, no one is expecting you to go out and confront the 400 prophets of Baal. God didn't expect Elijah to do that right off the bat either. He had a small faith that grew until he was at the point where he could perform that. That's still a couple of weeks away in our, in our series yet. Elijah had enough faith to give a quick prophecy to Ahab. It's going to stop raining and then run away. That's how much faith he had to start with. It was a small bit. He had enough faith to go off to the Kerith Ravine where God said he would look after him. This time with God gave him enough, enough faith to travel into enemy-occupied territory, to go to a widow where he had enough faith to ask for a sip of water. And then when God proved faithful, he then had enough faith to ask for food. And now, after this boy has been raised from the dead, 
And God has proven his faithfulness again and again and again. Finally now, Elijah has the faith to go back to Israel and recommence the powerful ministry that God had called him to. Elijah started with a tiny bit of faith, which God nurtured and grew. God didn't force Elijah into circumstances that were well beyond him. He gave him circumstances that were small enough for his little faith to handle. And it got bigger and bigger. God trained him until he became this incredible, powerful prophet that we are still speaking about thousands of years later. God wants to use us for his glory. But he won't throw us in the deep end beyond what we can handle. He wants to train us. He wants to guide us. He wants to grow and nurture that little seed of faith that we have until it grows and becomes something powerful. And that's why Jude writes to the churches that we should build ourselves up in our faith. It's something that grows. And so we need to exercise our faith in small ways at first. And we will see that we serve a faithful God. And our faith will continue to grow. And then we too can perform incredible things for God. Let's pray. Our gracious and faithful God, we thank you that you were gentle and patient with Elijah. Lord, we, we note in here that you never, you never once condemned him for only having small faith. You only ever used what he had as an opportunity to then give him more. And we thank you that you do that with us too. We thank you, Lord, that like the, the desperate father, we can cry out, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, take the small amount of faith we have and put us to the test. Help us to grow. Help our faith to grow as we, as we learn that you are a faithful God. You are true to your word. You never let us down. And so help our faith to grow, Lord, so that we can perform great things for you. Lord, we want to be like Elijah. Not that people are talking about us a thousand years from now, but that people will know you, that people will know that you are an awesome God and people will turn to you and be willing to give you their lives. So help us to grow in faith, Lord, we pray. We surrender ourselves to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. An extra thanks to those who have generously donated to our ministry. You can find more sermon recordings or videos on our website, yokinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. God bless you.